0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where we talk to people with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome or VEDS, which I also have. This is Katie, your host, and today I have Daniela with us to share her story with VEDS all the way from Austria. Daniela, I'm so grateful that you found this podcast and are excited about sharing your story all the way from Austria, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So you were diagnosed very, very recently. You say about two months ago?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: How did that happen? What happened to lead up to this?
1: I was um, diagnosed because my mom died last year because of a rupture of her main artery. And we have quite a history. My mom had a bone rupture when she was 25 years old. And I had a dissection of my carotis when I was 26 years old. And I always had the feeling that there's something wrong. But um, doctors always told me, no, you don't have anything that's quite common for women. Maybe the arteries are a little bit weaker, but that doesn't matter. And after my mom died, they didn't even think about wets she was not genetically diagnosed and the doctors told us it's not necessary to do any checkups or research but yeah it was quite a long fight because i I just didn't give up i wanted to know and doctors didn't want to do genetic testing because it's very expensive and yeah i had to fight for nearly two months to get tested
0: Wow. So what did you, did you come up with the diagnosis of VEDS or did they, or did you just, like, how did that happen?
1: When my mom died, it was really um, totally unexpected for us and for her, of course. And All I could do was um, research. So I spent really a lot of hours and nights doing research. And first of all, I came up for Marfan syndrome, but we don't look like people with Marfan syndrome. And then somehow I found out about vascular EDS. Then I asked the doctors if I can have genetic testing for it. And they told me it's so rare and there are no families in Austria with a history like that. And yeah, then we got the tests back and it was positive.
0: How did that feel when you got that test back?
1: It was a little bit of a shock, but not that bad because um, I was thinking about something like that. And all the years before... I always had the feeling that there is something wrong, but um people just didn't recognize and every time I went to a doctor I had the feeling that they think I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the so, worst feeling. That's a really yeah, terrible really. feeling.
1: Yeah. And for me, it it was good to know because I have a lot of friends who told me I would not want to know. But for me, it's a really good feeling because now I can react quicker if there is anything wrong. Because back in 2010, when I had the the section of the carotids. It took me a few days to go to the hospital because um, the symptoms were so strange. First of all, I felt dizzy for two or three days. And my doctor told me, so you are 26 years old and you've never had any, um, any signs for stroke or anything like that. So don't worry. And then I had the worst headache of my life. And after that, I had really bad pain in my jaw and I went to the dentist because I thought something is wrong. And he told me, no, there there isn't anything. And it took me four days until I really had problems um, with talking. So the words didn't really come right out of my mouth. And... Half an hour later, I had a little vision disorder. And then I went to the hospital. And they also told me, no, that's not a stroke. Uh, Maybe it's a TIA, but uh, could be migraine. So don't worry. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and they sent me home. And the next day I got to the emergency room again, because I really had a bad feeling. And they wanted to send me home because they thought it's migraine. And half an hour uh, before I got home, they told me, let's do an ultrasound. It's really rare, but just to be sure. And then they found out. And now that I have a diagnosis, I would react really much quicker if I have any symptoms like that. So I feel a little bit safer because of the knowledge that there could be something wrong and I could react immediately.
0: Mm -hmm. Just knowing that those life-threatening complications are possible or likely. So what did they do when they did find that carotid dissection?
1: I had the dissection, and because of the dissection, I had two aneurysms, and they put uh, two stents inside, Mm -hmm. and then they sent me home for a month or five weeks. And when I came back for a checkup, The aneurysms got bigger, so that should not happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I got a third stent, a closed one. And I talked to the doctor who did the surgery a month ago, and she told me now she knows that she could have recognized that there is something wrong with collagen because the aneurysms got so much bigger after the stent. But I was so young and it's so rare, so they did not thought about anything like that. And they did a MRI two weeks ago, and now everything's fine. So you can't, if you don't know that there have been an aneurysm, you would not recognize it. Everything went good, but I was quite lucky that they did not rupture, especially in the the four to five weeks where I stayed at home without any checkups.
0: Right, for sure. That is very, very lucky. And how long ago was that, that you dissected your carotids?
1: Ten years ago.
0: Wow. Have you had any kind of other complications since then, or have you been fairly stable?
1: Mm, No big deals. I just have the normal symptoms, easy bruising, and especially in my, my wrist and ankle, arteries burst very easily, sometimes just I don't know, not out of nowhere, but uh, little, little things. Mm, Like the veins,
0: like the veins will rupture.
1: Yeah, yeah. that can happen easily. And I once ruptured my liver a little bit, (laughs) but that was in combination with a motorcycle accident, little crash. Oh, so wow. I, I just found out that I have vets two months ago and I had a really, really wild childhood. <laughs> so in my, <laughs> when, when I was little, I started horseback riding when I was three years old and I own three horses. So there's always something happening. And I was driving motorcycles for, I don't know, 10 years and looking back I'm really lucky to survived everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you so have, um... the sometimes I don't feel that fragile because I fell so often off of the horseback and nothing really big happened so far. <laughs> and the lucky. carotid dissection also wasn't out of the blue. First of all, I had quite a lot of osteopathic treatment with my neck and in the hospital they told me that's not very healthy these uh, manual things where you just um pull at the neck mm-hmm. so they told me people without wets it isn't good and i had that i don't know 15 times or something like that and a few weeks later i was uh, with my horses in the barn and i feeded them and they had a little fight and one of the horses um, just pulled me against the wall and I fell with the part underneath the jaw against the wall. And so the dissection um, happened. I don't know if it would have happened without wets or not. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So
0: um, and I know you said that when you were trying to get genetically tested, the doctor's That you have in austria said you know nobody in austria has this kind of medical history so do you know anybody else diagnosed with veds in austria
1: no i don't know anybody there is a little group um, in upper austria but just for hypermobile types Mm. so now in austria um, it's really really rare and i wear a medical bracelet but um doctor from the genetic told me, yeah, that's a good thing. But to be honest, 80% of the doctors in the emergency room, they have to Google it <laughs> to know about.
0: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I think that's pretty true here, too, in the U.S. There's a lot of doctors yeah. in the emergency rooms that are unfamiliar with this or confuse it with other types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome.
1: Mm. I asked the doctor, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, if I may could have Eli Sanders and he was just looking at me and told me, no, you don't look like that. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe he was confused with hypomobile type because I'm not that hypomobile, just the elbow, but that's it.
0: <laughs> so what are the, I know you said you had like the visible veins and the bruising. Yeah. Do you have any other Kind of like physical outward features.
1: Um, yeah, I I have uh, the thing with the ears where you don't have oh, like earlaps
0: connected earlobes.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah, I have that, and I don't know. The people from the genetic told me that that I have a few facial things they recognized immediately so we have quite big eyes and they are a little bit deeper and my mom had a really small nose and very prominent eyes just like my grandfather so I think maybe maybe we got it from him because he was also bruising very easily and he had a few symptoms but he didn't have any vascular issues during his life, but then he died very suddenly when he was uh, 72. What did he die of? We don't know. He just didn't feel good. He told my grandmother, and then he went to sleep, and he woke up, and then he was breathing very hardly, and then he died, but we don't know, and in Austria, this was 15 years ago when he died. He was 72 years old. Mm -hmm. They don't uh, take a closer look, so old people die. (laughs) That's it. So the doctor said maybe it was a heart attack or something like that. But, yeah. Do you have children? Just few kids, only dogs and horses and cats. (laughs) (laughs) Have you? um,
0: So one of the things that happened when I was diagnosed is, like, I never wanted kids myself, and it finally gave Mm -hmm. me a reason to to say definitively, like, to have a doctor take me seriously when I would tell them that I didn't want to have kids.
1: Mm -hmm. Have you ever
0: wanted to have kids?
1: No, I did not. And I don't know why. Maybe... I don't know, I told my mother because she always wanted that I get pregnant. (laughs) She wanted to be a grandma. And I always told her I would not want to have kids until I'd know what's wrong with us. So I always had a feeling something's not okay. And I don't know if that's the main reason, but um, I I really like kids. I work with kids every day and I really like them a lot, but I don't need to have my own.
0: (laughs) So that did not, the the diagnosis didn't really change that for you then?
1: No, no. I don't know. I, maybe if I really would love to have children, I don't know if I would like to risk it. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, even if the lifespan of the child would be, I don't know, for example, 45 or something like that, I think oh. life is worth living anyway. Because you never know, you can have a healthy child with the best genes and then, I don't know, it, it it has an accident, car accident or whatever. So you never know. And I think life is fragile anyway for everyone. Mm-hmm. And if anybody would ask me now if I would have been born, if I could choose, of course I would have, because my life is great anyway. And you never know. But I don't think it's just for people with wets. It's for everybody. Mm-hmm. So future is never sure for nobody. Right. So how has this changed? It's only been two months.
0: Do you have a different kind of yeah. care team now? Has it changed anything about your day-to-day life?
1: The first, I don't know, two weeks, I was a little bit afraid. And I had a, had a few kind of panic attacks at night because... I was afraid that maybe my my heart artery could burst or anything like that. But now I got back to normal quite quickly. So there are a lot of days I don't even think about it. And I had to do a lot of checkups the last few weeks. But that's quite okay because it's good for me too. Just takes a little bit of time, but that doesn't matter. And... I don't know, 10 years ago when I had the, the section of the carotis, that changed, changed my life a lot because I was so young. I was only 26 years old and that was such a close call because I was really lucky to survive all of it. Mm-hmm. And since that, I really enjoy life a lot and I'm really thankful for everything I have to say that doctors um, in the hospital were not really very empathic because um, I had these two aneurysms. And I remember on a Friday night, I asked one of the doctors if they do an emergency surgery, if anything goes wrong, even on weekends. And he told me, no, we don't do. Because if the aneurysms rupture, we can't do anything for you. We won't even get you to, to do surgery, but that's really a nice kind of dying because you only get a little bit dizzy and sleepy and that's it. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, great, great, but I'm only 26 years old and I just don't want to die. And they were really not very sensitive and I was really afraid. I thought, I, I'm not sure if this uh, really ends in a good way. And after all, things went out really good. And nothing um, from that day on was just going back to business for me. So that's, yeah, it was 10 years ago, but... I still enjoy every sunset and every new morning and swimming in the lake and time with my family and my animals and everything. Mm -hmm. I think a lot more than other friends or family members do.
0: Yeah, it really puts your life into perspective
1: when things like that happen. Yeah. And now with WETS, I'm quite happy to know because... I can do checkups, I can react really quickly if anything is wrong and my family, my friends, even some people at work, they know about because it's safer for me and even in the hospitals um, they know about because um, it's a genetic disease, it's quite uncommon that um, doctors know about so they don't want to publish it. For hospitals, But I told them I want to publish it so when I have an emergency and maybe I can't speak for myself I want them to know mm-hmm. and that's really safe for me and everything else is, I don't know, not in my hand so that's all I can do. I tried really hard to get sleeprolol because um, of the study they did in Switzerland. I thought it's a good thing, and I take a very high dose of vitamin C, um, three gram per day, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's everything I can do, and that's it. So
0: It all comes down to the controlling what you can and then letting yeah. go of the rest.
1: Exactly, yeah. I just don't want to sit at home for the next 20 years being afraid, so that's not a life for me. Mm -hmm. and some of my friends told me don't you want to sell your horses because it's dangerous you know (laughs) (laughs) and I just told them no I don't want to because I grew up with horses horses are my life and they make me so happy and I don't want to give up on any everything that's uh, fun for me and uh, don't go on vacation no traveling anymore and sitting at home, uh, just waiting for the next, I don't know, bad things to come. So I don't want to. I don't want that the diagnosis uh, stops me from living. So a friend of mine told me, maybe you just travel, I don't know, to Germany or maybe Croatia, where there is a really good hospital nearby. And I told them, no, I don't want to. I've been in countries with a really bad medical treatment like Romania the last few years and nothing happened and I really like to visit the United States again because I've been there last year and if something happens on a flight from Munich to Phoenix where you fly for um, I don't know 14 hours then it has to be that way but I don't want to sit at home for the rest of my life and don't see anything of the world again because that's that's just a, a normal thing for me because there are a few things i can do on my own and i do them so that's okay for me and the rest of it yeah life is fragile for everybody anything can happen anytime for everybody and i i really have have a trust in in life itself and I don't think it's so important how long we live. Maybe it's 50 years or 60 or 68 or whatever. I think it's really important to enjoy it and to be thankful and to be happy. And you can live up to a hundred years and you have a super boring life and you are unhappy and I don't want that. (laughs) So I don't think it's it's a matter of years.
0: Yeah, what a great outlook. Is there anything that, you know, you're very newly diagnosed, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about, or, you know, somebody else newly diagnosed?
1: I think um, it's also a good thing to be diagnosed because you can be updated on science because I think genetic therapy and nanotechnology, they improve very quickly. And I had email contact with a few genetic therapists in the United States, in London, in Japan, because I studied, I studied journalism, and doing research is really my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got in contact with a lot of doctors all over the world. and they told me, um, they can um, cut the call three one gene with crisp method out and they can um, write another protein instead but they just do it in one cell and not the whole organism but we don't know what will happen in two years in five years maybe in ten years so i think it's really important not to lose hope because um everybody has in his mind that it's a very rare genetic disease and there is no healing and there is no treatment but I think that's just the point of view from today but we don't know what will happen so it's very important not to lose hope and not to have such negative thoughts and do not limitate yourself in your lifespan or do not read too much statistics because these are just numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important to stay positive. There is so much um, science development and things can um, get really quick better and they can find out things in one day, we don't even know. And maybe in five years, there are so much more opportunities. That's a great
0: point. And that's something that, you know, having a diagnosis, you can get involved in research studies. And, you know, there are several, like you said, there are several researchers around the world that are, that are working on this. And that's a great point point is to just keep your hopes up because there are yeah.
1: Especially in my mutation, the lifespan average is just thirty-four years. But I don't get crazy about this because it's an average, you know? And if just take a look at soccer, if someone is um, pulling the ball on the left side and someone is pulling the ball on the right side somebody in average made a goal. <laughs> so I think that's really just numbers. We don't know what kind of people they took for their statistic. And I think there are so many people out there with wets who have never been diagnosed. And maybe some of those people, they reached a lifespan from maybe 70 years and they never get diagnosed. So these people are not in the statistic. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we should focus so much on these numbers because they only limit our thinking and um, they are just scary and nothing else. And it's a rare disease. So there are not so many people all over the world to make a really good statistic. And that really scared me the first days of my uh, research after I've been diagnosed. And I thought, oh my God, that's really bad. And then I, I thought about it because in my time of study, a professor told me don't think too much about these numbers in studies because you don't know how the study were made. And yeah, I I don't think um, maybe, maybe these were really heavy um, cases. And like my granddad, if he had vets, and I really think so, he died at the age of 72, and nobody would ever have diagnosed him because in Austria 15 years ago, he was an old man. It was totally normal uh, to suddenly die in your 70s. And there can be a lot of people we don't know. And maybe if they all were tested, then the average lifespan would be another.
0: Yeah, that's a great perspective. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story so soon after diagnosis.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really like your podcast a lot. So it helped me really because... I didn't feel that alone because it's such a rare disease and I don't know anybody else here in Austria and I was listening to your podcast a lot after I've been diagnosed and I think it's really a good thing and that's the reason I wanted to share my story too.
0: Thank you so much. That is that really means a lot. You know, it's this podcast is super close to my heart and I've talked to so many incredible people, including yourself and I It's so great to know that it has the ability to reach people when they're newly diagnosed and make them feel less alone. So that is the best compliment I could get. Thank
1: you so much. And if anybody hears this podcast, uh, living in Austria or Germany or Switzerland, they can contact me anytime.
0: So if you are one of those people, uh, feel free to reach out to me on the contact page of my website on the podcast site. And I will work to get you connected with Daniela. Thank you so much again, Daniela. And thank you everybody for listening. This was so cool interviewing somebody all the way from Austria. Just amazing. And I really appreciate everybody listening. New episodes come out on the last Sunday of every month. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Share that podcast with other people you know. And we'll talk to you soon.